Hey, what's up, City family? I want to welcome you uh, to our service here on Good Friday. Uh, as we're together tonight, we're going to be worshiping. We're going to have some scripture reading and remember and celebrate uh, what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so tonight, uh, I just want to invite you to uh, join in with us, sing with us, uh, read with us, and let's remember uh, what Jesus did for us on this day. Let's pray. And uh, then we're going to get started with some, with some worship. God, we thank you so much uh, for what this day represents. Uh, God, we remember and celebrate what Jesus did for us uh, on the cross. And we, we thank you for that, God. Just like Paul said, uh, when uh, Jesus led the disciples in the Lord's Supper, he, he told them, and Paul records uh, Jesus saying that... Um, what we do now, we do in remembrance and celebration of you. We, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And we do that uh, every day, but uh, definitely today on Good Friday, we remember and celebrate and we proclaim the Lord's death uh, until he comes again. And so, Jesus, we love you and uh, we thank you. Speak to us tonight as we sing together and as we read your word.
nation of Israel had been in slavery to the Egyptians for over 400 years when God used Moses to deliver them from slavery God performed many incredible miracles and plagues in order to rescue the nation of Israel from slavery God would then lead them by a pillar of cloud and uh, by day a pillar of fire by night Um, All through the desert, they would wander in the desert for 40 years, and God would finally bring them to Mount Sinai, where they camped on this mountain, and God asked Moses to come up to the mountain to speak with him and to give the nation of Israel their means by which they would be in relationship with God and how they would worship God and how they would know God. And so Moses goes up onto this mountain. The mountain is filled with smoke. And this shofar blows, and the entire nation of Israel uh, would bow down before this mountain as God came down and invited Moses up to speak with him. 
Now, when Moses would meet with God on top of this mountain, God would give the things like the Ten Commandments and uh, the, the law of God to the nation of Israel through his servant Moses. And he would tell uh, Moses and the nation of Israel that they were going to build this tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, there was going to be this place where sacrifices would be made. And it's these sacrifices that would be made uh, in their place for their sin by which they could be in relationship with God. These sacrifices would atone for their sin. And in Exodus chapter 29, after all these directions of what this tabernacle is going to be like and and how these sacrifices are going to be made, in Exodus chapter 29, starting in verse 38, it says this, This is what you are to offer on this altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. For generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet with you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. And then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them for I am the Lord, their God. And so God tells Moses that the way the nation of Israel is going to be in relationship with him, the way they're going to remember all that the Lord had done for them, the way that God had rescued them with his mighty hand out of slavery from Egypt, the way they were going to do this and be in relationship with God, that God might be among them and dwell among them and be with them and be their God and, and they his people. The way this was going to happen was every day there was going to be two sacrifices, one in the morning and and one in the evening. And for centuries to come, these sacrifices would be made every single day, one at nine in the morning and one at three in the late afternoon. These lambs would be sacrificed for the sin of the nation of Israel. Now, we would learn later these sacrifices didn't take away their sin. They would just appease the wrath of God for their sin. And these animals would die in their place. And when they would bring these animals forward to Aaron and to the priest, they would lay their hand on the sacrifice, recognizing and confessing that this animal is taking my sin and is going to die in my place for my sin. And so these sacrifices would be made hundreds and hundreds of years for centuries to come, all the way up until the time of Christ, when God would become flesh and make his dwelling among us, John would say in John chapter 1. And so all the way up until this time, 9 a.m., 3 p.m., every single day, these sacrifices would be made so that Israel could be in relationship with God, so they could worship God and know God, so that God would be among them and, and speak to them, and they he could so that way he could be his their God and, and they his people. Well, centuries later, after this time in Exodus 29, along with these sacrifices, 
there would be this shofar that would blow, this loud trumpet-like sound that would blow when each of these sacrifices were made. So think about this. Every day for centuries, these sacrifices were made at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. And when these sacrifices would be made, when these lambs would be slaughtered in their place for their sin, to make atonement for their sin, this shofar would blow. And a shofar was a ram's horn. And this ram's horn was used to remind the nation of Israel of the ram that Abraham used to sacrifice in the place of his son Isaac. If you know the story in Genesis, God tells Abraham to go and to sacrifice his son on top of this mountain as a sacrifice, as a worship to him. And Abraham takes his son up there, his one and only son, the son of promise. He takes him up on top of this mountain to sacrifice him. And right as he's about to sacrifice his one and only son, God stops him. And Abraham sees a ram caught in the thorns. And he takes the ram and they would sacrifice the ram in Isaac's place. So the ram that God provided would die in Isaac's place so that Isaac might live. And so this ram's horn, this shofar, would remind Israel every time they blew it of the story of their father Abraham, whose son Isaac was spared as God's provision of a sacrifice would die in his place. So every day for centuries, for hundreds and hundreds of years, 9 a.m., 3 p.m., every single day, these lambs would die and they would be sacrificed for Israel's sin. And when they were sacrificed, that shofar, that ram's horn, would blow. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I see. You are my all in all Seeking you as a precious jewel Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool You are my all in all Jesus, You fill my cup. You are my all. 
Approximately 700 years before the time of Christ, the prophet Isaiah prophesied of a Messiah that was going to come and suffer and die. And this would be strange to the nation of Israel and to their spiritual leaders because they had always seen the Messiah as someone who would come and who would rule, who would restore the nation of Israel to power. But here is Isaiah prophesying that the Messiah is going to come and suffer. He's going to die. Listen to this in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3, it says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after the suffering of his soul, he will then see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so the nation of Israel would hear this prophecy from Isaiah about this suffering servant who would be our Messiah, who would be their Messiah, who would die in their place like those lambs that would be slaughtered every day at nine and three for their sin. There's a person in this Messiah is going to come and die like one of those lambs, is going to die in their place for their sin. In John chapter 1, John writes that God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we would learn later in John chapter 1 that his name is Jesus, that this one who would be born, his name was Jesus. In Mark chapter 15, Jesus has been arrested. He's been on trial And now Pilate is asking the crowd, what shall I do then with this one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the latter, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. 
Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes. And then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled his sponge with wine, vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down. He said, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Mark records that it was the third hour when they crucified him. That was 9 a.m. At 9 a.m. on that day, just like every other day for centuries, that shofar blew, and that lamb at the temple, not far from where Jesus was being crucified, was slaughtered. Hours later, when Jesus breathed his last breath, it says that it was the ninth hour. The ninth hour was 3 p.m. And again, not far from where Jesus was being crucified at 3 p.m. at the temple, a lamb was being slaughtered, a shofar would blow. So Jesus, when he was crucified, it was 9 a.m. And when he died, it was 3 p.m. And each time that shofar blew. If you were a Jew, there's no way you could have heard that shofar blow, knowing what was happening not far from where you were, knowing the, the prophecy in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah would be led away like a lamb to the slaughter, who would die in our place for our sin, would be pierced for our transgressions, would be crushed for our iniquities. You would see Jesus dying on that cross, his blood staining that wood, and it would have brought immediately back to mind the imagery, the picture 
of the Israelites taking the blood of the lamb and rubbing it over their wood doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over them that night when God would deliver them from slavery to the Egyptians. So in one, in one moment, at 3 p.m., all of the scripture for centuries and centuries comes together in one moment at three o'clock on Friday when that shofar would blow and when that blood would stain the cross, when that ram's horn would blow and let out that sound like a, a trumpet that you could hear all over the city, reminding you of the sacrifice that died in Isaac's place. So in this one moment, this lamb was slain in our place for our sin, just had been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years. And as the Israelites had slaughtered those lambs at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. every day for centuries and centuries, all in this one moment, the final lamb to be slain died in our place for our sin.
The system by which Israel would be in relationship with God through the sacrifices was called the Old Covenant. Well, after Jesus would come and die in our place for our sin through his death on the cross, we would have what is called the New Covenant. And the New Covenant is talked a lot about in the New Testament. And the New Covenant is the way we now have a relationship with God. The way that we serve God, love God, follow God, and know God is through 
this new covenant. And I love the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrews really wraps up the message of the scripture and the story of God by putting these two covenants together and talking about the way each one of them enables us to be in relationship with God and how the new covenant works and why it's the fulfillment of the old covenant. And so in Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 22, it says this, so Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant, this new covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, it says, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as a man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to all those who are waiting for him. Hebrews 10, verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which never really take away sins. It's talking about those sacrifices that were made every single day at nine and three. Verse 12, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For the Holy Spirit also testifies about this, for he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. The new covenant says that Jesus, the son of God, our great high priest who lives forever because he died and rose again three days later. And he went to the right hand of the father, completing the will of God to die for our sin and then to be risen again three days later, conquering sin and conquering death. And now, in the new covenant, 
God places his spirit within us and his spirit moves us from the inside out and gives us this inner desire to follow Jesus and love Jesus and worship Jesus. And this is the new covenant. There's no longer any sacrifices that need to be made for sin because Jesus, the son of God, our perfect high priest who lives forever, died in our place, rose again and was sacrificed once for all time, once for all all our sin, past, present, and future. And so the writer of Hebrews says, so he has made perfect forever those who have given their lives to Jesus. That's the new covenant. That through the sacrifice once and for all time that Jesus made, those who would give their life to him, those who would place their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin would be forgiven of their sin once and for all time and would be made perfect, holy, and spotless blameless. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 that he who knew no sin, Jesus, our perfect spotless lamb, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that those of us who are in him might become the righteousness of God. That means right with God. That means when you give your life to Jesus, you are right with God forever. There's no more sacrifices that need to be made for your sin. And so three o'clock on that Friday, When that shofar blew and the Lamb of God died in our place for our sin, he conquered sin. He conquered the penalty of sin, which is death itself. And he said, it's finished once and for all time. Once and for all, we've been made perfect, holy, spotless, and blameless through our faith in Jesus Christ. And our sins are remembered no more. What a Friday.
Now 
We're so glad that you could join us for our Good Friday service. I want to remind you that when Jesus died on the cross, the story didn't end there. Three days later, Jesus would rise from the grave, conquering death itself. And so this Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're going to join together and we're going to celebrate and we're going to remember that Jesus died in our place, that he rose again, and that he lives forever. He's alive. We serve a risen Savior. And so we're going to worship, we're going to celebrate, and we want to invite you to join us live. You can jump on our app and join us live there. We'll be live streaming to our app. Join us on our Facebook page. We'll be live streaming there. Uh, make sure to comment when you get on there and share that feed and let other people know. Tag your friends, invite your family, friends, coworkers, neighbors to join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m., 12 p.m., and then we'll rebroadcast that same service at 3, 5 and 7 p.m. So we hope to see you on Sunday for an amazing Easter worship celebration.